Good morning, and thank you for joining us on 5 at 8. It's Friday, December 1st, 2023, and here's Linda Carlisle and Mark Overman with today's top news. In this episode, we'll talk about tiny living robots called anthrobots that have been developed using human cells, the takedown of fake accounts originating in China on Facebook and Instagram, the call for increased cooperation in the European defense industry, the reported death of a Russian general in Ukraine, and the discovery of an exoplanet that challenges current theories of planet formation. Story number one. Scientists have developed tiny living robots called anthrobots using human cells that can move and explore their surroundings, as reported by CNN. The anthrobots were created from tracheal cells with cilia, which are hair-like projections that wave back and forth. The cells were manipulated to encourage the cilia to face outward, enabling the anthrobots to move like oars. According to CNN, these anthrobots could potentially be used for medical applications such as healing wounds or damaged tissue. The experiments are still in the early stages, but the anthrobots have shown promising behavior, including encouraging growth in damaged neurons. CNN states that the researchers do not believe that the anthrobots pose any ethical or safety concerns as they are not made from human embryos and have a limited lifespan. Might just be me, Linda, but this anthrobot business feels like we're stepping into some sci-fi future, you know? Living robots made out of human cells, that's straight out of a movie. What do you make of this? Are we crossing any ethical lines here? Well, Mark... It's certainly a fascinating development in the field of bioengineering. As for the ethical aspect, it's important to note that these anthrobots aren't made from human embryos, which would indeed have raised significant ethical concerns. Instead, these are adult human cells from the windpipe. So the ethical considerations are certainly different. Okay, so they're not full-blown human cells. But, uh, let's say, hypothetically, they start using these anthrobots inside human bodies for healing wounds or something. Wouldn't that present a whole new set of ethical dilemmas? Anytime we start manipulating life at a cellular level, there are numerous ethical considerations to take into account. For instance, we must ensure that the benefits outweigh any potential risks and that the procedures are used responsibly. In this case, the researchers have made it clear that these anthrobots can't live outside a very specific laboratory environment, and they have a natural lifespan. This means they biodegrade after a few weeks, which does mitigate some potential risks. Got it. So, uh, it's not like they're creating some immortal, uncontrolled life form here. But still, this whole idea of creating life, even at a cellular level, it kind of makes you think, doesn't it? What does it mean to be a machine, an animal, a robot? Do these categories even hold up anymore? That's a very good point, Mark. This research does indeed challenge our traditional definitions. It's a philosophical question as much as a scientific one. What constitutes life? What differentiates a machine from a living being? These are profound questions, and as our scientific capabilities advance, it's crucial that we continue to explore them, ensuring that our ethics and philosophies evolve alongside our technologies. Story number two. Meta, the parent company of Facebook and Instagram, has revealed that it has taken down five networks of fake accounts originating in China this year, as reported by NPR. China has become the third most common source of foreign influence operations on social media behind Russia and Iran. The Chinese networks targeted people in sub-Saharan Africa, Central Asia, Europe, and the United States, with campaigns focused on promoting Chinese interests and attacking government critics. 
Meta removed two China-based operations in the third quarter of 2023, one of which consisted of 4,800 Facebook accounts impersonating Americans and posting about domestic politics and U.S.-China relations. The other network, smaller but more sophisticated, targeted Tibet and India and posed as journalists, lawyers, and human rights activists. Meta expects Chinese operations to increase their focus on discussions of China's relations with other countries in 2024, alongside expected operations by Russia and Iran. Is it really surprising, Linda, that countries like China, Russia, and Iran are using social media to push their political agendas? I mean, we've seen this before, right? In the 2016 U.S. presidential election, Russia allegedly manipulated social media to influence voter sentiment. And now Meta says that China has become the third most common source of foreign influence operations. I mean, it's a digital arms race out there. Yes, Mark, you're right. It's not surprising. It's a reality. But I think what worries me is the complexity and the sophistication of these operations. We're talking about networks of fake accounts, impersonating different personas, spamming and whatnot. The scale and the breadth of these operations are startling. It's not just about influencing politics anymore. It's about manipulating public opinion, stirring up social discord, and even undermining democratic processes. I get that, Linda. But let's not forget that these are private companies we're talking about. Facebook, Instagram, or Meta, they're not government entities. They're businesses. And while they do have a responsibility to their users, at the end of the day, they also have to protect their interests. These are complex issues, and it's not easy to strike a balance between freedom of speech and censorship. True, Mark, but I believe that these platforms have a societal responsibility, too. They've become an integral part of people's lives, shaping public discourse and even influencing elections. So while they are businesses, they can't just wash their hands of these influence operations. They need to be more proactive, more transparent, and more accountable. And I think it's high time we had some sort of international regulations to tackle these issues. Well, Linda, I think we can both agree that this is a complex issue and there's no one-size-fits-all solution. But hey, at least we're having this conversation, right? And hopefully so are the folks over at Meta and in government agencies around the world. Story number three. European defense industry leaders are calling for more firm orders and increased cooperation with the European Union and national governments to meet the growing demand for defense capacity, particularly due to the conflict in Ukraine, as reported by Reuters. The industry needs to restart production of ammunition and weapons systems, but this requires significant investment and support. While progress is being made, it remains uncertain when the EU target of producing one million rounds of ammunition annually will be met. Concerns have also been raised about Europe's reliance on purchasing weapons from the United States. Additionally, tensions between the U.S. and China have impacted air travel between the two countries, leading to increased demand for jets, but supply chain problems in the industry. European Aerospace and Defense Employment has returned to pre-pandemic levels. But labor shortages remain a concern. Can you believe it, Linda? These European defense industry leaders are really feeling the heat. The conflict in Ukraine and other geopolitical tensions are pushing them to ramp up their production capacities. It's really a wake-up call for them. It's a complex situation. On one hand, the immediate need to address the security concerns is paramount, especially given the Ukraine's urgent need for arms. However, Michael Johansson, CEO of Sweden's Saab, raises an important point about the long-term implications. 
Increasing defense capacity isn't a task that can be accomplished overnight. It requires long-term planning and cooperation between the industry, the European Union, and national governments. That's true, Linda. But let's not forget the economic implications here. Johansson voiced concerns about Europe's increased defense budgets being spent on importing weapons from the U.S. Now, I'm all for free market and competition. But I can see how this could lead to dependency issues down the line. Absolutely. It's a delicate balance. While importing might be a short-term solution, it might not give the best return on investment for taxpayers in the long run. And there's also the consideration of national security. Depending too heavily on external sources for defense needs can create vulnerabilities. Right on the money, Linda. And then there's the supply chain issue. The demand for jets, for instance, is outpacing supply due to ongoing problems in the industry supply chain. It seems like the defense industry is not immune to the ripple effects of the pandemic. And it's not just about the physical products. The industry is also grappling with labor shortages, another fallout from the pandemic. As it ramps up to meet the growing security challenges, it's also struggling to fill jobs. So, it's really a multifaceted issue, isn't it? On one side, you've got the immediate need for increased defense capacity. On the other, there are all these other factors. Long-term planning, cooperation, economic implications, supply chain issues, labor shortages that they need to navigate. It's a tough nut to crack. Very well put, Mark. It's a profound reminder that decisions made in times of crisis can have long-term implications. This situation calls for thoughtful planning and strategic execution. It also underscores the interconnectivity of our world today, where a conflict in one region can send ripples across industries and economies. Story number four. According to the BBC, a Russian general, Majgen Vladimir Zavadsky, has reportedly been killed after stepping on a mine in Ukraine. This marks the seventh known death of a Russian general since the invasion of Ukraine in February 2022. The Russian Defense Ministry has not commented on the incident, and there are conflicting reports about the location of the incident. The U.S. has pledged to support Ukraine in strengthening its resilience against Russian attacks on its infrastructure, providing defensive protection equipment and other supplies to ensure the country's energy infrastructure remains operational throughout the winter. Good morning, Linda. This news about the reported death of yet another Russian general in Ukraine, Majgen Zavadsky, it's, it's quite something. I mean, if these reports are verified, he would be the seventh Russian general lost in this conflict. In your perspective, what effect could this have on the Russian military strategy? It's a significant event. The loss of high-ranking military officials can have a profound impact on the military strategy. From a tactical perspective, it could disrupt strategic planning and decision-making, particularly if the general was involved in key operational roles. Moreover, such losses can have a detrimental effect on the morale of the troops. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's not just about the military strategy. I mean, how this news is handled by the media on both sides, it's just as crucial, isn't it? Transparency, or lack thereof, during wartime can greatly influence public sentiment and the overall narrative surrounding the conflict. For instance, if the Russian media underreports or omits these losses, it might maintain a facade of invulnerability. Conversely, if these deaths are widely reported and confirmed in Ukraine, it can boost their morale and resolve. Hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting point. It's kind of like a double-edged sword, isn't it? 
On one hand, you want to maintain morale at home, but on the other hand, not acknowledging these significant losses might lead to increased disillusionment if the truth eventually comes out. And you know, these losses, they're not just numbers. These are human lives, people with families. And that's important to remember. It's easy to get lost in the politics and strategy of war, but at the end of the day, these are people who are losing their lives. It's a tragic cost of any conflict. Story number five. Astronomers have discovered an exoplanet named LHS 3154b that challenges current theories of planet formation, as reported by CNN. The planet, which is about the mass of Neptune and over 13 times more massive than Earth, orbits an ultra-cool M-dwarf star called LHS 3154. This star is nine times less massive than the Sun. The planet has a close orbit, completing one orbit every 3.7 Earth days, and it is the most massive known planet in a close orbit around one of the coldest, low-mass stars in the universe. This discovery contradicts scientists' understanding of how planetary systems form. The planet was detected using the Habitable Zone Planet Finder, HPF, installed on the Hobby Eberly Telescope in Texas. The researchers believed that the planet's heavy core would require more solid material in the planet-forming disk than was present around the star. This discovery challenges existing planet formation theories and provides an opportunity to learn more about how planets form around common stars in the galaxy, as stated by CNN. There's something mind-boggling about this recent discovery, isn't there? An exoplanet, about the size of Neptune, orbiting a low-mass star that, according to our current understanding, should not be capable of hosting such a massive planet. It's like finding a fish swimming in a desert, isn't it? This discovery is shaking the very foundations of our understanding of planetary formation. The existence of LHS 3154b is like a puzzle piece that doesn't fit into the picture we've painted so far. It forces us to reconsider and reevaluate our theories. And that's the thrilling part about science, isn't it? We're always learning, always questioning. Just when we think we've got the universe figured out, it throws us a curveball. Reminds me of Galileo challenging the established geocentric model of the universe with his heliocentric model. There is a certain beauty in these moments of scientific descent, where our understanding is challenged, forcing us to evolve our theories. This discovery is not just about an unexpected exoplanet. It's a reminder that our knowledge, as vast as it may seem, is still limited. It's like looking through a keyhole into the vast expanse of the universe. We only see a fraction of the full picture. And it's these glimpses that push us forward, fuel our curiosity. It's like a never-ending detective story, with each discovery leading us to more questions. How did this planet form? Why is it so massive? What does this mean for other low-mass stars? The list goes on. Yes, it's a fascinating cascade of questions. And as we seek answers, we may find ourselves revisiting and revising our current theories. Much like how the discovery of the expanding universe fundamentally upended the notion of a static universe. Each new discovery is not just an addition to our knowledge, it's also a potential pivot point. A chance to see the universe from a new perspective. And it's these very pivot points that have led to some of the greatest advancements in science. So, while this discovery might seem like a tiny blip in the grand scheme of things, who knows what doors it might open? After all, it's the tiny ripples that often lead to the biggest waves. 
That's it for this morning. Have a great day and see you all tomorrow. Five at Eight is researched, written, and performed by artificial intelligence. For more information, visit botcaster.ai.